went better. So my small group this week said, Zach, we've been building for this for about 15 months or maybe not quite that long, but I said, we've been building for this for over a year. Don't mess it up. And I said, well, that's comforting. Thank you. I appreciate that. So they sent me with blessings and encouragement. Hey, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and take it out with me. We're going to be in Mark chapter 15 together. And uh, Mark chapter 15 is where we will start our time. As you turn there and we begin our time, I want to start by asking you a few questions. And I'm going to ask you questions about a penny, a one cent piece of a coin, a penny. And, and you don't have to answer any of these out loud, but I, w- I want you to walk with me through this and kind of think about these answers. Uh, whose face is printed on the penny? What color is the penny? Most of us are probably 100% at this point. Here's where it gets a little more difficult. What word is printed to the left of Abraham Lincoln's profile on the penny? Which way is he facing? What's printed on the tail side of a penny? And if you're looking at an older penny, don't just say a building. Which building is it that's printed on that penny? On the back side of the penny are a set of initials. What initials are those? Whose initials are those? On the back side of the coin as well, there's also a couple of different phrases printed. What phrases are those? Now, if you're a coin nerd in the room, you're going to ruin my illustration completely if you've answered 100%. But I would bet the majority of us in this room this morning have, don't know most of those answers. You were probably rocking it out on those first two, and then you, you probably tailed off somewhere along the way. Most of us don't know the majority of the answers of, of what is printed on a penny. And, and here's the idea that I want to get to behind sharing that as we start our time out. Things that we think we're familiar with, we often overlook. We don't really slow down to study, to look, and to engage with things that we think we already know. Like a penny. I'm sure many of you have seen pennies your entire life. You know exactly what they look like. If I was to hold one up, you know exactly what it was. You would walk over one on the way to the car today. You probably got a few hundred shoved in the cracks of your seats in the car when you get in there. It's something we've seen our entire lives, but yet we miss it all the time. Yeah, we don't actually study the things that we think we already are familiar with. And I want to present to you today the idea that I think we have done that very same thing with the resurrection of Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. Many of you, probably 100%, whether you've been a Christian for 40 years, two weeks, or maybe this is even your first time in church in a very long time, maybe you would say you're not a Christian at all. I would bet almost every single one of us is familiar with the resurrection of Jesus in one way or another. We know the story, we've heard the story, and yet for so many of us, we're confused at what it actually means for our lives. We are familiar with it, but we don't actually really know it on the other hand. It's one of those things we've heard about forever, but it maybe has lost its power in our lives. If you're a Christian in the room, I bet there's many of us that even wonder how the resurrection of Jesus means anything and holds any weight on your day-to-day life as a Christian. I would bet if you took an honest examination of your life, you may wonder how the resurrection of Jesus actually is bearing any weight on your life currently at all. And so I want to present today that the resurrection of Jesus is a declaration to us of who he is And at that declaration, it will change our lives forever. That's what I want to put in front of you today. And a couple of notes as we get into this and start to look. 
there's a couple of different ways that I think I could have come to this text today, and I just want to kind of fill you in on how we're going to do this. Um, I'm only going to spend a small amount of time looking at an apologetic case for the resurrection of Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. I'm not going to spend the majority of my time, I'm not going to take 40 minutes and try to convince you that this story is actually true. We'll touch on it briefly, but that's not what I'm going to do today. If you're here today and you're skeptical over these claims whatsoever, we would be more than happy. First off, we're glad you're here. Um, God is not too uh, small for your worries and concerns and your questions, and you're free to have those here. And if that is you and you have questions on whether what we're going to read is true, we want to help equip you with some resources to do that. And we've actually preached on the resurrection of Jesus from that angle in the past, and, and all of that is still online to this day, so you can go and look that up there. But the angle I want to look at the resurrection of Jesus together is is this. I want to look at the story through the gospel of Mark, and then I want to ask the question together, okay, if all of this is true, what does this actually mean for us? What are the implications of the resurrection of Jesus? How does this actually change my life day in and day out as a follower of Jesus? So if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and go to Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 40 with me. Starting in verse 40, the text says this. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and they ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage, and he went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead, and when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb, and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. Now, let me fill us in on where we're at in this story together today. If you were here last week, last week we looked at the crucifixion of Jesus. And and where we're picking up our story is immediately after the crucifixion, directly after that story has unfolded. So Jesus has just been put to death. He was abandoned by most of his followers. He was put to a criminal's death, and he suffered in our place at the cross. And we know from the story in the previous weeks that that while Jesus was on his way to the cross, he was abandoned by most of his followers. The majority of the people that were the most committed to him had completely left him and abandoned him in one of his most difficult hours. Now, this text picks up, and it's interesting to note that while most of Jesus' followers had left him, not all had left him. It says there was this group of women who were there, and they were watching as Jesus was being killed and put to death. And in this group of women, the text lists that we see Mary Magdalene was there that day. This is the same Mary who had her story kind of changed forever as Jesus drove seven demons out of her, and she became a follower of Christ. The second Mary listed in the text was Jesus' mother. And then lastly, we see a woman named Salome who was the mother of James and John. And it's just interesting to note that while most of the disciples had left Jesus, while most were nowhere to be found, this faithful group of women was by his side all the way to the end, watching as he was being put to death. We'll come back to their story in just a moment. 
Now, our story, our text continues on by stating the evening was coming, the day that Jesus was killed. And so I want to give you a timeline really quick. The day started for Jesus early, but he was put to death. He died at about 3 p.m. on Friday. And it says the evening was coming. And so evening coming would have meant that it was somewhere between 4 and 5 p.m. And that's significant. So that's where we are in the day. And as evening was on its way between 4 and 5 p.m., at this point, a man named Joseph of Arimathea comes to Pilate. And he goes before Pilate, and he asks and requests that he be given the body of Jesus. Now, there's a couple of reasons why that's significant. Number one, when Joseph goes to ask Pilate for the body of Jesus, he is stepping in, and he's stopping Jesus' body from being thrown to a common criminal's grave. So let me explain what would have happened here as the Sabbath was approaching. It says that this was the day of the preparation, which meant the Sabbath was coming. The Sabbath day would have started at about 6 p.m. So again, Jesus is killed at 3. Evening is coming between 4 and 5 because the Sabbath begins at 6 p.m. And what would have happened for anyone publicly executed by 6 p.m. as the Sabbath begins, they would have taken that body down from the cross And they would have thrown Jesus' body into a common criminal grave, serving as another way for Jesus to be humiliated, even into the point of his death. As the text lists that he is a corpse, what would have happened is he'd be taken down from that cross and just tossed aside with other common criminals. And so as Joseph comes in and he requests the body of Jesus, he is stopping Jesus' body from being further humiliated. Now, the second thing we see about Joseph, it says that he was a respected member of the council. We know he was a part of the Sanhedrin. And so he was very familiar with what would have been going on over the course of that day. Very familiar with it. And Mark's text tells us that Joseph was a man who was himself looking for the kingdom of God. If you go to John's gospel, and you can do this today, if you go to John's gospel and you read the story where we're at... It describes Joseph of Arimathea as a man who was a secret follower of Jesus. And he was a secret follower because he was afraid of what may happen to him if he publicly identified himself as a follower of Christ. And so he goes before Pilate. Pilate is apparently surprised that Jesus is dead. Because Pilate has a centurion, go check it out. And here's why Pilate would have been surprised. It sometimes would take days for someone who was crucified to actually die. And so as Joseph goes to ask for the body, Pilate verifies that Jesus is dead. It says that he is a corpse, meaning he is physically dead. And Pilate says, yes, Joseph, you can have the body. Now, here's why what Joseph is doing in this moment is so significant. Again, Joseph up until this point is a secret follower of Jesus. Never publicly claimed that he was following him. And at this point in the story, the text says that Joseph took courage to go and ask for the body of Jesus. And and it's at this moment that Joseph of Arimathea, this man who's been secretly following Jesus, enters into the story and and says that he's not going to keep that a secret any longer. He's going to step up and take courage and essentially risk everything to prevent Jesus' body from being tossed into a criminal's grave. He goes and he publicly, at this point, is, is declaring his faith in a way He's he's going public as a follower of Jesus by saying, no, 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 you cannot take his body that way. I'll take it. Let me take his body. Let me bury him. And at this moment, Joseph is taking courage, and he's saying, "I'm, I'm with him. And in this moment, remember, all the other disciples are mostly gone. 
Why are they gone? They're, they're fearful. They're fearful that what's happening to Jesus may come for them. And so those, those guys are nowhere to be seen. And Jesus in this, uh, Joseph in this moment risked everything. He risked being put to, put to death just like Jesus so that he can prevent Jesus' body from being just tossed to the side. So Joseph risked everything, even in this moment where he could have lost his social status and even his life, to take the body of Jesus. But he didn't care. He goes to get the body. He gives Jesus a proper tomb to be buried in. And the text tells us that Joseph wraps the body. He lays Jesus in a tomb, and he seals the tomb with a heavy stone. And as he does that, the text makes sure to mention to us that the Marys that were there the whole time, they see where Jesus was laid. Let's pick back up our story in chapter 16. Chapter 16, starting in verse 1, says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out. And they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Where we pick the story back up, the story now fast forwards. Fast forward, we're on Sunday morning at this point. Remember, Jesus was killed and buried by Joseph on Friday. It is now Sunday. The Sabbath has passed, and it is Sunday morning. And this is interesting, because as faithful as these women have been to Jesus throughout his entire life and ministry, they were with him for so long. They had seen him do so many incredible things. They'd heard all of his teachings. They followed him throughout his life and his ministry, even in hard times. And on Friday, they watched their Lord and Master be put to death, and they still stood by and watched as it happened. And then they see where Joseph laid the body of Jesus. As faithful as they had been this whole time, they still never expected what they were going to discover at the tomb that Sunday morning. And so the women make their way to the tomb that morning, and they take spices and they're going with the anticipation of anointing a dead body. They're expecting to find Jesus in that tomb two days dead, three days dead. And that he would be laying in that tomb, still physically waiting there, decomposing. And they go and they take spices and they're going to anoint him. And they're, they're so unaware of what's going to come, they even ask the question, who is going to roll away the stone from the tomb? They didn't think their plan out super long. They're kind of walking there with their spices, looking at each other and say, oh, wait a minute, uh-oh. We saw a big stone in front of this thing on Friday. None of us are good enough. We can't get that off. All right, what are we going to do? How are we going to roll this stone away? But we've got our spices. We're ready to anoint the body of Jesus. And they show up to the tomb that morning expecting to anoint a dead body, never expecting to encounter an empty grave. And they show up, and God had done something that they were never expecting. They show up and the stone was rolled away. And the tomb is missing Jesus. He's not there anymore. And they look in and they see this young man 
sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And we know from the other gospel accounts that this, this young man was most likely an angel. And the angel, and I just kind of love thinking of what he may have looked like here in this moment, just kind of looks at him almost nonchalantly. It's like, yeah, he's not here. He is risen. Just like he said he would be. And he makes this most glorious proclamation to these women that the Jesus that you came here to anoint, he's, he's no longer here. He's not dead anymore. He's alive. He is risen. Now, I want to sidebar for just a moment. And show you something significant about these women coming and being the first ones to find the tomb of Jesus. It was interesting, and it's noteworthy for you and I to to make sure and mention that the first people to show up to the tomb and discover that Jesus is not in the tomb, that in fact he's alive. It's interesting that those people happen to be a group of women. And here's why it's interesting. Don't get mad at me for saying this, all right? This is culturally not me saying it, all right? The testimony of women in first century Jewish culture would have been considered nearly worthless. And here's what that means. If you were going to take something to a court of law, if you were going to take something and you wanted somebody to believe your story, the last people you would have ever sent to discover this was a group of women, especially this group of women. Because not only is it just a group of women, it's a group of women that have aligned themselves with Jesus. And I love this because this is what it's saying. God in all of his sovereignty allows these women who had been faithfully by Jesus' side to be the first ones to discover the empty tomb. And the Bible is far more concerned with telling you the truth than it is at trying to make up stories and convince you otherwise. If you were going to make up this story, and we know the disciples weren't that smart anyways, But if they were going to make the story up, if they were going to steal the body, if they were just going to write a false narrative, the last people they would have sent to discover the tomb of Jesus being empty was women. But they didn't care because that's what happened. So Mark, as he's writing this account, is telling us the truth that the first people to discover the tomb of Jesus was this group of women and how sweet it was that they found it. And we can believe the testimony is true. Now, after they discover the empty tomb, the angel announces to go and tell the disciples and Peter. I want you to note that. The angel says, go and tell the disciples and Peter what you've discovered here. That this tomb is now empty, that Jesus is alive and he's going before you just like he said he would. You can meet him there. And so the angel makes this announcement that go and tell the disciples, but go and tell the disciples and Peter. Why is that interesting? The gospel that was influenced most likely by Peter himself, the same Peter that just days earlier had turned his back on Jesus three times, the same Peter that time and time again said, Jesus, I'll go with you anywhere, even to death. When the heat gets turned up, Peter is nowhere to be found. He's gone. And so at this announcement of the angel to go and tell the disciples and Peter, what you need to note from this is this is not God slapping Peter in the face and saying, ha ha, I told you so. This is God restoring Peter back. This is God bringing him back into the fold. And it's a beautiful thing to note because for you, you need to remember that you can never out God's amazing grace. You can never disappoint God enough that he would turn his back on you like he would with Peter. He will restore you no matter how many times you fail. And so at this moment, he's restoring Peter back and saying, no, 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 Peter, come and see this beautiful, amazing news. And so after they hear this, the women, they run back to the others. 
in this past few days has been an absolute roller coaster. They saw Jesus physically, and hear this, physically die on Friday. The text tells us that he was a corpse, meaning dead. And then on Sunday, they show up and he's no longer dead anymore. He's alive. These women have just had a roller coaster of a few days and fear has gripped them. And they run from the tomb and they go to tell the others this beautiful news that Jesus, he's, we don't know, but he's not in the tomb anymore. He's alive. And so they go back and tell the others. Now, as we finish reading that incredible story, I want to take us back to where we started talking about that penny. Because like a penny, many of us have heard that story time and time and time and time again. Many of you probably know that story inside and out. And yet maybe for some of us, if we were honest, that story has lost its power in our lives. Maybe even confused on why that story is such good news for us all together. And so with the rest of our time, I want to I want to show you how big of a deal this is. Because in a story that should cause you and I to fall to our knees and be in awe of what God has done, God help us, sometimes I think we read it and just kind of set it aside and say, okay, that was good. That was a good story. And it's lost all its power and weight in our lives. I want to show you quickly in the Apostle Paul's own words why the resurrection of Jesus is such a big deal deal for you and I today. I'll put it on the screens. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 14, Paul says this, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, Your faith is futile, and hear this, you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people the most to be pitied. Do you see how serious this is in Paul's own words? He says, this story that you and I are reading together today This wonderful announcement that the tomb of Jesus is not full anymore, but it is in fact empty, that Jesus is no longer dead, but he's alive. If that story is not true, then you and I, every single one of us in this room, and everyone here at the last gathering and the two to come, every single one of us will be wasting our time here today. If the story of the resurrection of Jesus is false, everything we've read throughout the gospel of Mark would be worthless. There is no reason for us to hold to his teachings. There's no reason for us to listen to what he says to us. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we are truly wasting our time. And even worse than that, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, Paul tells us that you are still in your sins. Literally, you are still hell bound if this story is not true. But if it is true, And we believe it is. Like the angel declared to the women on that beautiful Sunday morning, the tomb is empty. He is not here. He is risen. And the good news for us is the tomb is still empty. He never went back to it. He didn't raise up and and show up back in the tomb a few days later. He's never went and occupied it ever again. 
He is alive. He is risen. And if that is true, and we believe it is, it holds major, major implications for you and I today. This is the beautiful announcement of exactly who Jesus is. And that announcement will change your life forever if we hold to it. So understanding all of this, in the rest of our time, I want to now look at, okay, what does all of this mean? If this story is true, what does this mean for me? Why is the resurrection such good news for you and I here today? So as we go there, I'm going to give five things that will help us see this. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus is God. The resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus is God. I'll show you in from Mark 8, 31. Look at, look at the screens with me. He said, and he began, this is Jesus earlier in his ministry, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. We cannot miss how important this is. This is what sets our faith apart from every other religion or faith group on this planet. Mark 8, 31, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. What does that mean? What is the Son of Man and why is that so important? When Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, and if you remember throughout Mark's gospel, that is one of his favorite ways to refer to himself. As this kind of, uh, he always makes this announcement that he is this Son of Man. Well, that idea of the Son of Man coming into the world is seen originally in Daniel chapter 7 and throughout the book of Daniel. And it's this promise that one day God was going to send this man. And he was going to be sent from God to restore the people of God. But the beautiful news is not only is the Son of Man going to be a human, though he is, he's also going to be divine. And so he's not just going to be a mere man, he's also going to be this man who is divine, that has deity that is sent from heaven. And this son of man is going to come into the world and he was going to restore the people of God back into right fellowship with God himself. Now here's the thing, in Mark 8, 31, Jesus is identifying himself as that son of man. And then he goes on to perfectly describe exactly what was going to come to him. He says that I'm going to be persecuted, killed, but then on three days I'm going to rise. Now I want to ask this question. Because there have been plenty of people throughout the history of the world that have claimed to be sent by God, many of whom we're familiar with. There have been plenty of people that have come down and tried to start religious movements and faith movements, and at the core of their religion and faith was them making this declaration that they're sent by God. Muhammad, in the faith of Islam, claimed to be a special man sent by God. Joseph Smith, who has started a movement here across our own country that is still growing to this day, claimed to be sent by God to have a special revelation from God himself. And from Jesus' day before that and even to this very moment, there have been others and countless others who have made special claims about themselves and they have claimed to be sent by God. Now, what makes Jesus different from every single one of those? Every single person that has ever claimed to be sent by God is still dead, minus one. Every single person that's ever claimed that they were sent by God to do the miraculous, if you were to go visit their tomb, they are still there. They're still decomposed. Their bodies are wasting away into the earth, minus one, and that one is Jesus himself. 
And at that resurrection, that Sunday morning when the women find the empty tomb, what we're discovering is that every claim that Jesus made about himself Every way he referred to himself as being God in the flesh, as being sent from heaven, as being divine, every single one of those things is true, and his resurrection guaranteed it. The resurrection of Jesus is a kind of a, a stamp of authenticity over Jesus' divinity, that he is the son of God. He is the savior of the world. He is God in the flesh. He is the God man, the only one that can take away the sins of the people of God. The only one that can bring you and bring me back into right fellowship with God. His name is Jesus and his tomb is empty to show it. And he's still alive today. And so the first thing Jesus' resurrection shows us is the fact that he is God. Second thing that the resurrection of Jesus means, it means that death has been defeated. The resurrection of Jesus means death has been defeated. I'll show it to you from 1 Corinthians 15. It says, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. I want you to remember back with me to the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis in the early part. God creates everything in the world he creates Adam and Eve, and he puts them in the Garden of Eden, and they have perfect fellowship and communion with God. They have life eternal. They have every need met. God is with them. He's fellowshipping with them. He's communing with them. They're in the garden. They have every single thing that they need. And God tells them, I'm going to put you in this garden, and you can cultivate this, do this, be fruitful, multiply. Don't take of the fruit of this one tree that's in that garden. And we know the story, Genesis chapter 3 comes around and they take the fruit of the one tree that God told them not to take of in the garden. And from that moment in Genesis chapter 3 forward, our world has been in chaos. Sin entered into the world at that very moment. Through the sin of Adam, and before we blame him, you and I would have done the very same thing. So let me rephrase it. Through our sin, death has now entered into the story as a consequence. And death is sort of this thing that just looms over all of us. Like we know it's coming. And so many of us are gripped by fear from it. We live our whole lives trying to figure out how to prolong ourselves so we can avoid that day that we know is coming. As smart as human beings are, we've never been able to figure out how to conquer death. We can put men on the moon, but we can't conquer death. And not only are we physically dead, we're also spiritually dead. So not only are Adam and Eve now going to die, you and I as well, now from that very moment, everyone who comes into this world is spiritually dead. The Bible refers to us as from our beginning, we are children of wrath. It's not very pleasant. Children of wrath like the rest of mankind, we are spiritually dead people. And we need someone who can come into the story and take us back to the Garden of Eden. We need someone because we can't do it ourselves. We can't bring spiritual life. We can't stop ourselves from dying physically. We need someone to come into the story who can defeat death because we can't do it. From the day of Adam till now, every single one of us, is find a, we find ourselves in the same condition that we will physically die and be spiritually separated from God for eternity unless someone comes in and changes the narrative. And Jesus comes into the story 
and he defeats death. And he conquers death. And so what Adam accomplished in Genesis chapter 3 at the fall of man, Christ destroys through his death and resurrection. What was done by you, me, Adam, and everyone else at the fall of man was completely undone by Jesus coming to conquer death on our behalf. And this means for us that if you are in Christ, you no longer have a reason to fear death. You no longer have a reason to fear the end of your life, and you no no longer have a reason to fear that you will ever be spiritually separated from God because the one that now holds the keys to death is Jesus himself because he triumphed right over the top of it. And he holds those keys. And so when we are in him, we have no reason to fear. Can I just, the enemy is not stronger than God. As much havoc as he may want to cause, Jesus holds the keys. And he is stronger than anything else that we'll face. Third thing that the resurrection of Jesus means. The resurrection of Jesus means that we can have new life now. The resurrection of Jesus means that you and I can have a new life right now. Look at Romans 6.4 with me. Romans 6, 4 says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. I want you to think about adoption with me for a moment, adopting a kid. When someone adopts a kid, it changes the trajectory of that child's life forever. And we know that when someone adopts a child, That child's future is a lot more safe and secure than it ever was beforehand. That child is most likely going to have an opportunity at a better education, a better job, and a better shot of a great family of their own one day. But you want to know what's even more beautiful about adoption than just the future benefits? When someone adopts a child, they don't have to wait until they're old to experience the benefits. They get to experience it right now. And so if you were going to adopt a child today, that child would have a new life, a chance at a a brand new story. Not 20, 30, 40, 60 years from now, they would get that new life right now. And that is exactly what Jesus has purchased for you and I at his resurrection. As good of news as it is that death has been defeated, that our eternities are changed, it is also really beautiful news that you and I get a chance at a new life right this very moment. And Christian in the room, we know this, man. We want to follow the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to love him. We want to obey him because we know of the joy that comes from obeying your father. It's the most beautiful thing in the universe. But yet at the same time, we still live in this fallen world and we're plagued by sin. And we do the things that we hate so much. And and we ought to long for the day where sin is no more, where we can walk in the newness of life. But the good news is that we can still experience that now. You don't have to wait until the end of your life to experience the benefits of your adoption. You get the opportunity at a new life right this very moment. And it was purchased for you at the resurrection of Jesus. The fourth thing, the resurrection means, it means that we await a future glory. The resurrection of Jesus means that we await a future glory. Look at John chapter 11 with me. And I'm going to invite the band to go ahead and come out as we get ready to close our time here. John chapter 11 says this. This is Jesus' teaching in his life. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Don't miss this. Because of the resurrection of Jesus... 
It means that there is a future glory that awaits you and I that is better than anything we could ever imagine. Let's be honest for a minute. Some of you are getting a little bit older, right? I do too. I got some gray hairs coming in. But some of you, you're getting older and you feel the pain of that coming, don't you? Like those knees don't quite work like they once used to. You get up and it's like, man, I got to stand here for a minute to recover, right? Because you're getting a little bit older. That body ain't working like it once did. And we know that we face sickness. We face disease. It doesn't take us long to come to the understanding that this world that we find ourselves in is absolutely broken and stained by sin. And not only those things, but spiritually, emotionally, we feel the weight of living in a sin-torn world. We experience depression. We feel isolated from other people. There are days where we wake up and wonder, does anybody actually care about me at all? And some of us know what that feels like. And that's a reality for us Can I tell you this? Death on this earth for you and for me, if you are in Christ, is simply a doorway into eternity. And at the resurrection of Jesus, it guarantees to you and to me that not only will we just be with him, we will also be physically resurrected with him. That these bodies that are so breaking apart, and some of us faster than others, we won't have to experience that one day. Because Jesus at his resurrection, purchased for you and for me that our bodies will be physically resurrected, enjoyed exactly as they were supposed to be. And as good of news as all of that is, that we get to spend eternity there in our glorified bodies resurrected with Christ, the even better news than all of that is that for eternity, we get to go back and get to experience that fellowship that Adam and Eve had in the garden with God before sin ever entered into the world. Our eternity will be fixed with Jesus right in the center of it. And we will worship him forever. The same Jesus that rose from the dead out of the tomb is the same Jesus who's in the heavens right now, the same Jesus that we will be resurrected with one day. The last thing as we close our time, the resurrection of Jesus means that every word that Jesus spoke is trustworthy and true. Every single word that Jesus spoke is trustworthy and true. As we get to the back of the Gospel of Mark, as we're close to ending this book, what we see at the resurrection is Jesus declaring and showing to us everything he said throughout his life and throughout his ministry, that all of it is true. You can take every bit of what he said to the bank and believe it, and his resurrection shows us that he is trustworthy. Every statement he ever made, everything he ever taught, everything he ever said to his people, you can believe every single word of it. Because like he said, he said he would rise from the dead, and he did it. And so every word that he spoke throughout the gospel, as we've been in the gospel of Mark for a long time, we can look back on that now and know and remember every day that everything he said is trustworthy and it is true. And so right now as we close our time, what I wanted to do is actually just read about 22 different things that we can know today, and there are many more. I'm going to read 22 different things that you and I can know today are true because Jesus is alive right now. Starting with this, Jesus can be trusted as we follow him. Jesus has authority over the demonic. Jesus has power over sickness and disease. 
Jesus forgives our sin. Jesus is our brother. Jesus gives us understanding. Jesus has authority over all creation. He is our healer. He is our shepherd. And he overcomes our fears. Jesus cleans our defiled hearts. Jesus is God. Jesus makes the impossible possible. He is our ransom. He gives sight to the blind. Jesus answers our prayers. He is the cornerstone of our faith. He rescues and redeems the world. Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is the fulfillment of all the scriptures. He reconciles us to God. And hear this, Jesus is alive right now. Let's worship together.